progress, not perfection, my friend. It's progress, not perfection. It's so an anthem to what our world is about. You We're ha- all about perfection. You have to accept your humanness first before you can ever get your brain around the idea that my life is built about progress and not perfection. Human beings, we have to accept, are not perfect beings. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. We talked early, early on in the beginning of this relationship with self-segment about where we were, our experience, how we got there, and then we want to get really into some of these actions and behaviors of how we actually made these changes in our lives and how we've seen these changes in the lives of other people. Okay, what I, I want to do, to. what I want to do before we get there is we've got to get really clear on how I used to treat myself when I used to look in the mirror and hate the man looking back at me, what I used to do if I ever lacked perfection in this shower to showtime routine or anything related to showing up in life. I was not, if anything went off script. If anything went off script, if anything went off plan, mm-hmm. I was not very kind to myself. Okay. What I did to myself emotionally, verbally, and physically, if I'm to sit here, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the people that I hurt and how I went about fixing that stuff, trying to make amends for that stuff, and how that's a lifelong process. You've talked about the people you've hurt with some of the money choices that you've made in life. If I am to be completely honest with myself, the person that I have hurt the most with all of my behavior is me. The amount of emotional trauma, verbal trauma, physical trauma, physical abuse that I endured at the hands of myself left scars for a long time that I've had to deal with. For a long time, I didn't deal with it. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. What do I mean by emotional trauma? Well, I've shared that now I get up in the morning and I go to the mirror and I say some nice things to myself about myself. Back then, I didn't. I was constantly telling myself over and over, I'm not good enough. Constantly in this state of comparison. Berating yourself. Even when I met you, I almost made you like this demigod, like I'm not worthy and you're so much better than I am and so much smarter than I am and so much better of a father than I am and a better husband and everything about you was so much better than I was. And I had you up on this pedestal. It was almost like you were my little higher power for a while until I realized that I am enough. 
And that's helped me be on an equal plane with everybody I meet. But gosh, for so long, I, I emotionally just tore myself down with everybody I met. I'm not he, worthy. I'm not worthy. You, my wife, my kids, my, everybody I met, I wasn't good enough. That was the tape that just kept playing in your head. Absolutely. Well, I took that tape a step further. And not only was that emotional abuse of myself, but it bridged the gap to verbal abuse. Because any time I would screw up, like the time that my back was against the wall in 2005 and Amy and I were out of money. We were broke. We had no purchasing power. I couldn't stand there and figure out what to do with my wife. So all I could do was get in the car and drive. And as I was driving up Highway 65, looking up in my rearview mirror, I was just berating myself. You piece of garbage. What did you do? How could you be so stupid? You dumbass. And all I could see looking back at me in the mirror was my $4 million life insurance policy and how much better it would be for Amy, Lucas, and Miles if I just turned the wheel a little to the left right into the semi-truck that was barreling down towards me. Wow. And I've told that story before. Right. It never loses its but impact. The verbal abuse that I threw at myself that day and many times over, the physical abuse... This right knuckle right here that I'm showing you, this little pinky knuckle right here, you can see how it's a little elevated over my other knuckles. Sure. I've broken that three times in my life, punching stuff because of how angry I was at myself. Wow. And it all stems from the fear of not being enough. Right. I almost did it three weeks ago, standing in my bathroom after saying something inappropriate to my son. I was so upset with myself that I almost punched the tile in my bathroom, but instead I stopped myself. There are tools I've learned that you've learned that we're going to get into. But when I really think about my choices with money, my constant battle with other people to be right, and my relentless shaming of myself, it just it left me feeling like I was hopeless. And I was either going to die or I was going to change and get living. One of two ways. That was it. I right. mean, Yogi Berra, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Yeah, yeah. Big changes that required me to completely restructure these three relationships that I had with money people and myself. It was time to take it off. Jim Kelly said that to me in October of 2005. Hey, Matt, when are you going to stop lying to the whole world and start telling the truth by just taking it off? Not an easy message to hear. But it was time. Something in me knew it was time. It was time to create, build, and nurture a relationship with me. How can I do that for you? How can I do that for Amy and the kids if I can't do that for me? Well said. I had to look at my physical wellness, my mental wellness, my spiritual wellness, and I had to learn this process of self-care because if the best version of me wasn't able or available to show up, how could I be of service to my family? How could I truly unconditionally love the people in my life if I didn't feel that way about myself, physically, mentally, spiritually? So it wasn't a selfish reaction to wanting to have a better relationship with yourself. It was actually more of a selfless behavior that in order for you to be able to give your best, you had to get right with yourself. Boy, did you nail that on the head. And, and this is a distinction that I'm sure we will spend eons and episodes talking about. Self-care, the paradox is self-care is a selfless behavior. 
It's not a selfish behavior. I've done plenty of selfish things in my life. I'm still an unbelievably self-centered thinker. I've found that the more self-care I put my attention to, time in the morning, time at night, the more selfless I am able to show up in the world, genuinely, right. yeah. the better listener I become. If I take care of me at the start of every day to allow the best version of me show up, then I can do a better job of listening to you. You're able to be more present, more open, more aware, all those little action items. If <clears throat> I don't take care of my physical, mental, and emotional well-being every morning, then I can't possibly be my best for you. And that's unfair to you. You deserve the best of me. The people I love, Jeff deserves the best of us when we walk into this studio. And you and I have come into this studio without the best of us being here. And thank God we have Jeff in our lives to call a timeout and say, hey, you didn't take care of yourself today. The best of you is not here. You're useless to your audience. Get out of my studio and come back when you're prepared. Yeah. He does it a little nicer than it that. It was much softer than it, that. Much softer than that. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about in this segment of take it off. What does that new routine look like that we've talked a lot about this shower to showtime routine, but yet it shifted unbelievably to this outward expression of how the world perceives me and the importance placed on that to now, how am I able to take care of myself so that the best version of me shows up today? Okay, Professor. Stop. Right? Wasn't it scary? We got to acknowledge the fear. Wasn't it scary when Jim Kelly said, take it off? Absolutely. Did you feel as though you were going to be able to take another breath? No. So there was an impossibility around how am I going to be able to do this? How am, how am I going to take off a mask that is so familiar and comfortable, I can't even see I'm wearing it? <laughs> that was the gift that Jim Kelly, I mean, he was the most amazing blind spotter, oh. as you and I like to refer to it, I'd ever seen. And More trophies than Michael Jordan in that sense. And so if you're wondering, well, how in the heck am I going to take it off? Do you have any recollection? I'm just having fun picking on you here for a second. But do you have any recollection like what you did to try to even take it off? It's like those yes. it's like those band-aids that you have on your skin that they're the skin color and you can't see you have a band-aid on. How do I how do I rip that off? Mm -hmm. You told a story I don't remember how many episodes ago. Months ago. You told a story about that scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when Indiana Jones has got to save his father's life by right, running into running, the cave yeah, and, and, then the, and the getting the, the chalice. There's one scene specifically where he's got to do this test called the Leap of Faith, and he's got to traverse this huge open crevasse that you just can't jump across. No way, yeah. And the challenge is called Leap of Faith. So you see Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, kind of take this deep breath, and, and he puts his two hands over his heart, oh, and he just lets that breath out. And you see his right foot come up, and he's about to step into the devastation of this crevasse below him. And right as his foot comes down, uh... a bridge appears. Faith. What I'm going to tell you is when Jim Kelly said that to me, and I couldn't take more than one breath, what I've realized in hindsight I was doing for the very first time in my life, very first time in my life, was having faith in something I didn't fully understand. I had a willingness to trust somebody. I didn't know how this was going to happen. Sure. No idea. No, no idea. Again, and I don't even know you really have the mask on. Jim, 
he wasn't the first guy to ever have this conversation with me. My mom and dad were trying to have this conversation with me for years. College friends have had this conversation with me. But there was something when Jim Kelly did it that for whatever reason, I was at a point in my life where I just had a sliver of willingness, a sliver of open-mindedness. For so many years before that, I lived by the words of contempt prior to investigation. Sure. If I didn't know it already, I didn't want to hear it. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Bingo. And Jim appeared that day. Lonnie appeared that day. And I really do think it was that time with Lonnie that cracked the door open to where when I heard it, I could trust that even though I didn't know all the answers of how this was going to happen, I had faith that the right coaches and the right people were going to show up in my life and guide me down the right path. Because all of my own behaviors and my own choices got me into this mess. So I knew it had to be something from outside of me that was going to show up and help me get out of the mess. So when we sit here and talk about some of these new routines and behaviors from shower to showtime, understand, like you just said, you may be wondering how I'm going to do this. And this is where pause, be willing, be open-minded, and have breathe, 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 and have faith that if we've just cracked a conversation open for you, that the rest of the people who are meant to guide you through this process will show up in your life when they need to show up. If you are a student who is ready, the teachers are appearing. Does that answer the question? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I got to think that people are listening to this going, well, am I wearing a mask? That The fish swimming in the water, right? The fish doesn't know they're swimming in the water. And... These exercises of stopping and writing and journaling or just thinking and meditating about it uh, are really helpful. You know what else would help? If you go to Amazon.com and buy the book Financial Sobriety, there are three chapters around the chapter on interfering ego that talk all about how I can identify when the real me is there and when I'm wearing a mask. You and I have spent some time talking about that in the last couple of episodes. Sure. If anybody wants to dig deeper, if you want to dig deeper, get a copy of the book. Sure. Amazon can still get it to you in two days, even with the crazy that's in the world today. Right. And you're going to be able to deep dive into how do I know when the real me's in the room versus when my mask is on. Beautiful. We were talking, I interrupted you with the pause back to actually being to take it off. That's all right. That's fun when we do stuff like that. On the physical, mental, and spiritual self-care. And the actions that you took to start to to move the ball forward in all those categories. And as overwhelming as it might seem to people to do that, this whole analogy that we've used many times over, you don't have to get the anchor all the way up in the boat. But yet we live in a pretty perfectionistic society where we're supposed to be perfect at all times. Well, maybe I'm on my A-game when it comes to my mental and spiritual care, but my physical care is a little off right now, which I know it is for me. I'm not doing the cardio work that I used to do because it's I'm just kind of in a rut. I do a marvelous job of beating myself up over that. How did you do it? Progress, not perfection, my friend. It's progress, not perfection. You taught me a long time ago that we measure our progress in arrears. You know, that might actually have to be what goes on my epitaph. Progress, not perfection? Yeah. Or measure progress in arrears? No, progress, not perfection. It's so 
you have to accept. It, it's so an anthem to what our world is about. You We're ha- all about perfection. You have to accept your humanness first before you can ever get your brain around the idea that my life is built about progress and not perfection. Human beings, we have to accept, are not perfect beings. We're filled with flaws, doubt, mistakes. We try things. We fail. Do we get back up and try again? I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the first thing that Jim, that you, that Lonnie had to help me get my head around was the fact that all we ask is that you wake up in the morning and give it your best. Try your best. It's something I wound up trying to teach kids in Little League. That it wasn't about what the scoreboard said at the end. It was about the effort we put into the game. And if we show up with our best and try our best, it's all about the quality of the at-bat. It's not about the outcome of where the ball goes after that at-bat. Boy, that that is a marvelous lesson to teach young ones. Absolutely. Because too often, you know, the outcome of the game isn't what they want. They hang their head. They cry. And here is we are big adults. We can easily do those same behaviors. Yes. But if I know at the end of the day, I did the very best job I knew how. Mm-hmm. Your head should the hit out, the pillow. But the outcome, the outcome wasn't what I wanted. And in, in the business of financial services, we don't, <laughs> we don't control the stock market. Yeah, there's a lot of outcomes we have no control over. And so many times in my career, I have beaten myself up over things that are completely outside of my control. But my dear friend, Tim Smith, who I hope is listening, would always remind me. He'd kind of be my go-to before you and I hitched wagons. And I'd call him, and he'd be like, but Gebhardt, you're doing the very best job you know how. Mm -hmm. You are out there slaying the dragon as best you possibly can every single day. Yes. And when you come to that realization, when your head does hit the pillow at night, you will have a much more restful sleep. Not that you you didn't necessarily win the game but that you gave it absolutely your maximum effort. There are 24 hours in a day. I have given myself 12 of those 24 hours. That's how I take care of myself. I look at that clock that's up on the wall and recognize that that thing's got two laps around it to complete one day. Half of that time that goes around that clock belongs to me. The other half of the time belongs to me giving myself to the world. What do I do with those 12 hours? Generally... Seven to eight of them are sleeping. I love my sleep. But then there are two hours every morning and two hours every night that are dedicated just to me to take care of me so that those other 12 hours that I'm showing up in the world for my family, for my clients, for my colleagues, for my friends, my trusted friends and family, and my situational friends— I have to put those 12 hours of self-care in for me to be at my best when I show up for the 12 hours that I'm out there being of service to the world. That is a really beautiful way to say that because I struggle with that myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even asking for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. I struggle to give myself an hour. Mm -hmm. So yesterday, great example. Stretching is a big part of my preparation. Yeah, you got to get your body moving. I got to get my body moving. I've got issues with my knee. I've got a shoulder thing the lovely joys of being a middle-aged, slightly arthritic person. And if I don't do those things, I struggle. I'm in pain. So had an early morning session with our favorite people at Comcast, ran to the office, got that done, came home because we're in shelter in place. So I was working from home. And I'm like, hey, honey, I'm going to make some more coffee, but I'm going to go stretch first. 
11.47, I came back out of my home office. Oh, boy. Hadn't had the coffee, but certainly hadn't done any of the stretching. And I was feeling it. You've been a wonderful example for me of mandatory self-care. This is, this is mandatory. Mandatory. Part of your job description as an owner of Gephardt Group. And so on that basis, I get three demerits. <laughs> but That's okay. We won't judge you for it. And there's, again, there's, there's people probably listening going, how? How am I going to take two hours in the morning and two hours at night? Okay. Well, start where you can. Start where you can. Miles, my son, has said to me, he made a declaration to me that he wants to be one of the best golfers in the world. But he, can't, but he said, I can't because I don't have the financial resources to go out and hire the kind of coaches I need to become the best. So we talked about, well, what can you do to start living like the best golfers in the world? How do they behave? How do they practice? How do they eat? How do they sleep? How do they exercise? We can worry about hiring you golf coaches when the resources become available. But in the meantime, what parts of this can we do? It's taken me a while to get to a point where I can build 12 hours of self-care into my schedule. The, you and didn't still, do that day one. No, and it still doesn't happen every day. Right. There are days that I am not very good at this. But again, because this is about progress, not perfection, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having a day like yesterday where I was horrible with my self-care. And I got in bed, and I sat down in bed with my last hour of the self-care kind of thing that I do at night, and I gave myself some grace. It's something that my wife has been holding me accountable to on a daily basis. you got to cut yourself some slack. Thank God I have that coach in my life, a la the form of my wife, reminding me whenever I start beating myself up, give yourself some grace. You're working so hard. So today wasn't your best day. Maybe tomorrow will be. And I can go to bed with some peace. She's become this little thing that sits on my shoulder and reminds me to give myself some That's grace. That's beautiful. Because we could all stand to give ourselves a little oh, more grace. We all could. So we need to find that person who's introduced us to giving ourselves some grace, and we need to put them on our shoulder and take them with us everywhere we go. I have a daughter named Grace. You do, and you should take her with you everywhere you go, because she's one of your biggest advocates in self-care. <laughs> she sure is. So there are three things. And what I want to do is spend this time talking about what I do for this self-care and again, with the overriding premise that this is progress, not perfection. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, the best three things I used to do that got me in tons of trouble. Oh, okay. Okay. So instead— Those are, When you say three things, it's either reading, writing, and, and arithmetic, arithmetic or sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, you Catholics came up with the three things with your whole Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost thing. So, True. You know, so now that must be one of the best three—you know, the, what they the call trilogy. it— The trilogy. The trilogy, right. The whole—no, the Holy Trinity— has become this trilogy thing that I, we see in business and life. Everything comes in threes. Movies. So thank you to the Catholic Church for doing that for us. The three things that I work on, first thing in the morning, I get up early. My alarm clock goes off at 5 a.m. I don't always get out of bed at 5 a.m. I try really hard. Most days I'm out of bed by 5.15, but some days I'm not. The very first thing I work on is my spiritual self-care. When my eyes open up in the morning— my brain is already going 1,000 miles an hour, and all the characters in mass in my head are having a conversation about how messed up our day's going to be. Wow. Every day, I wake up, my eyes open up, and the chatter is in full swing in my head. So I have to manually open my eyes and say these words out loud. Thank you. I'm grateful I have another day. My eyes opened up. I'm grateful my eyes opened up. Now what am I going to do about it? If this is my last day on earth— what am I going to do about it? My eyes opened up. I'm grateful. And by practicing that almost every day, 
I've started living more like today's my last day. How many times have we seen when Coach V, uh, the old coach? Yeah, Jimmy V. Jimmy V. Uh, his ESPY speech talking about make every day your last day because you never know when your last day is going to be here. Man, that landed with me, but I wasn't the student yet, so he didn't appear as my teacher. Jimmy Valvano, North Carolina State basketball coach, one of the most inspiring men I've ever listened to. Who died of cancer and never gave up living one day at a time. And on his last day on earth, still was able to show up and have impact. And because of that, he died with peace. And that's what I'm trying to do for myself is live every day like it's my last because if I ever take for granted the day that I have, I'm going to be ripping and running through people's lives, making bad choices with my money, with my interactions with people. And by the end of the day, I'm going to look in the mirror and cuss myself out. And that's not the way I want to live my life anymore. Chances are you don't want to live that way as well. So this is what I do in the morning. I have a little list. I haven't told you about this yet. I'm going to pull it out of my pocket. I'm not going to show it to you, but it's on my phone. Mm. It's on a little memo on my phone. And it's a list of every person that has ever touched me in my life. And it's a list that I'm continuing to build because I think of people that I didn't put on the list before. And I go through that list every morning now, and I say those names out loud. Oh, wow. Amy, Miles, Lucas, Mom, Dad, Daniel. You say them all out loud as long as it takes. as long as it takes. Jim, Beth, Emily, Grace, Jack, Grant. Every person, Jeff, is on that list. Our team is on that list. Some of my old Little League friends are on that list. And you know who else is on that list? People who've hurt me. Jerry and Joe are on that list. You're holding out on me. And after I'm done with that list, where I have a mental image of every person who means something to me in my life, I ask and hope and pray that love and happiness touches their heart today, somehow, some way, that they know I'm thinking of them and hoping for nothing but happiness, peace, joy, and serenity in their lives. That's beautiful. Thank you. By doing that every day, it helps me get my feet underneath me spiritually. Sure. You know my feelings about religion. I'm not a fan of religion. I don't follow religion. Yeah. But my relationship with God, with my higher power with, with something bigger than me, with the universe, has become so important to my grounding every morning. And the way I get grounded is by expressing gratitude for being awake and having a day to do what I do best for the people I do it for. And I get to think about every person who's ever touched me in my life. And I do that every morning. Boy, what would the world be like if we all did that? Hmm. A little financial sobriety. How do I help myself mentally? Once my spirit's in good shape, then I walk into my bathroom and I start my mental conditioning. I have a little video I recorded on my iPhone three years ago now. Okay. My hair's shorter in that video. I should probably re-record it. And it's a video of me looking in my iPhone saying, I forgive you. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I believe in you. Go get them. And it's me telling me that. So I look at that little video. Then I look up at myself in the mirror in the bathroom with a little smile on my face. The same bathroom mirror that in 2005 I would be brushing my teeth, cursing myself out, wondering if Amy and the kids would be better with my life insurance than they would be with me. And now you are looking in the mirror saying... And now I'm looking at that guy going, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I believe in you. Go get him. Now, full disclosure, the first time I did that, when that was suggested of me, and there are still some days I do it this way. Uh, I, I love you. 
I'm proud of you, and I freaking believe in you. Go get them, you jack. And I stop myself before I complete that sentence. There are still days that I feel that way, but I go through these motions just like I would if I were a golfer or a baseball player practicing my swing, practicing my at-bats, and creating that muscle memory. So even on the days when I don't feel it, I'm still going to say it. As uncomfortable as it makes me feel, I'm still going to say it. Repeat after me. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love you. I love you. I believe in you. I believe in you. Those three sentences are very intentional. Remember I said before, to begin this journey required me to build a very intimate relationship with three different versions of myself. My past self, that I used to carry a lot of shame for. My present self, which I was very unsure of. And my future self, which scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me. I had to get very intimately connected to those three selves. When I say I'm proud of you, and I look myself in the eyes in the mirror and say that, what I'm saying is, is despite my crap in the past, I'm proud of you. You're here. That's how I deal with my past every day. When I say I love you, that's how I talk to myself and my present self. That's about right now. I feel this love for you. And when I tell myself I believe in you, I may have no idea what the hows, the whats, the whos, and the wheres. I may not have any of those answers, but I have enough belief and faith in myself now that whatever it is, I'll be okay. I believe in you is getting connected with my future self. No attachment to any outcome. I may be rich. I may be poor. I may be healthy. I may be sick. But whatever that is, I believe in you. Those two exercises in the morning, from a mental perspective, the self-care video, looking at myself in the bathroom mirror, critical for my mental well-being. So the first time you recorded that video, you have suggested to me before, Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, I haven't done it. I'm afraid of something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Afraid of looking silly to myself, afraid that somebody might hear me. I don't know. I don't know. I got to unpack it and just do it. Yeah, you and I are going to do it in the parking lot after we record today. And it's a powerful exercise Mm -hmm. when you stop and you think of forgiving yourself for the past, loving yourself for who you are right now. And having belief in what's around the corner. Yep, absolutely. I, I just, it's incredible. The last thing I'll mention here is just one little suggestion for what I do at night. So I do this in the morning, and throughout the day, I set reminders on my phone. Every hour on the hour, you can see what it says right here. What does it say? Go to Jack in the Box. Oh, is that what it says? Oh, sorry. No. Pause, breathe, check in. That hits my phone every hour on the hour throughout the day. So I have these reminders because we have this lovely technology that can help us with this. We don't have to do this on our own. Yeah, don't we have to remember it all? We don't have to remember it all. I have these reminders on my phone. And that helps me get mostly through the day. But where I really need help is at the end of the day. When I lay in bed and the, the actors in my head, all the different masks in my head are chirping at me at the end of the day. Gosh, what's, what's tomorrow going to bring? We have this big meeting tomorrow. Hey, we got to be in the studio with Jeff tomorrow and all these things going on in my head. If I don't do anything about that, it'll take me a while to go to sleep and chances are it'll wake me up in the middle of the night multiple times. So what I now do when I get in bed at night is I sit down with my phone and I thumb away all those thoughts that are in my head. Everything I'm thinking about, just free flow writing with my thumbs on my phone. Our dear friend Tim Adams suggested this. Taught us that concept. He did. As a way to clear the decks, get all the hamsters out of the cage, 
clear the decks before you go to bed. And your sleep is? Unbelievably satisfying. There you go. I sleep like I've never slept before. I don't understand the physiology behind it. All I can say is my experience is, is that if I've got a lot in my head and a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of stuff going on, if I get it all out on paper, night night, it's out of me and it's somewhere else. Last thing I'll talk about. That was spiritual. That was mental, physical well-being. This isn't new. Most of us know this already. If you were to go to your doctor and ask them what the number one thing I can do to improve my health is today, what do you think he or she would say? Move. Sleep. We are so sleep deprived. Oh, yeah. Rest. Sleep. Yeah. Number one. Yes. Number two. Sleep. <laughs> Eat right. <laughs> Eat right. This is your one body. This is all you've got. Take care of it. Put in it the kind of fuel that you need to perform at your best. I didn't always do that, but something happened where I wanted to start taking care of this, and now I do. I used to be one of those guys that was like, how could I give up all of my favorite things and eat I all like the vegetables? A yeah, I, I love a Reuben with cheese and with the sauce and the... Guess what? I still eat Reubens. Not four days a week. But not four days a week. Sleeping, eating right, physical activity. Oh, I... Oh, move. Moving. Okay. Moving. Some very basic things to take care of my body. Something shifted... Something shifted where all of a sudden now I valued this thing, this vessel, my body. Yeah, because if I may repeat the past, I used to loathe hated exercise. It. Hated it because I hated this body and I hated this person. And when you start loving it, you start treating it better. You want to learn how to eat right and exercise? Start looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you're proud of yourself, you love yourself, and you believe in yourself. And you might actually start believing it to the point that your behaviors start to change. That's been my experience, and I promise you, it could be yours. Welcome to Financial Sobriety. Okay, now that we have gone through the exercise of take it off, the one last exercise for you is to journal. Keep that journal with you. Keep, keep just picking this thing apart and understanding who you are and the different voices and all those different things going on so that you can see your blind spots. You can get aware of how you're wearing your mask and you can have the courage to look in the mirror and say those kinds of things to yourself with love and compassion so you too can take it off. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged 
encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Mm-hmm.